Hello and welcome to NFL First and Gold, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. On today's podcast, we'll focus on the key matchups across the league, spotlighting the game between the Bengals and the Ravens with Kadre Ishmael, the former Ravens receiver. But let's kick off the podcast with our NFL insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Be sure to check out Ian's podcast, Rap Sheet and Friends, right here on TuneIn. And there's a lot of injury news to cover. Let's start in our nation's capital. Alex Smith went down with a broken leg. At the age of 34, is it fair to wonder if this is a career-threatening injury? It's fair to wonder, but it doesn't sound like it is. And, and you know, obviously it was a it was a horrific injury, and, and you know, to see a guy uh, break his his tibia, his fibula, get carted off like that, and just to have the bones snap and just kind of—I mean, it was the replay was bad. Everything about it was bad. Obviously, his season is over. He's heading for surgery now, uh, but it is not at this point believed to be career threatening. I mean, he, he is getting up in age. But, you know, we're at a time now when quarterbacks can play near 40. Uh, he's always been in good health, obviously, except for except for right now. But he's in, in good shape. Uh, this doesn't seem like something. It's just a bone, you know, so it doesn't seem like something that would uh, affect him long term. But obviously, you know, they're going to be going forward with Colt McCoy and honestly someone they, they really do have some real confidence in. But yeah, they're six and four. They're they're leading in the NFC East right now in the playoff hunt. Uh, who else is going to help them out uh, to be able to back up Colt McCoy? Yeah, and that's kind of what the what the focus is going to be now. Do the Redskins pick up another quarterback? I mean, and it's not like there's a lot of guys out there. I mean, they're really hmm. you know good quarterbacks who can come in and, and actually help your football team. I mean, Paxton Lynch is out there. That would be a name. EJ Manuel is out there. That would be another one. But the trading deadline is over. It would literally be just who is out there on the street. And, you know, this is why teams have all their emergency lists uh, because of situations like this when you simply got to have one. But I will say they really do more than any of us ever know, believe in Colt McCoy in Washington. They're 6-4. and four. Dallas is obviously coming on pretty strong in the division. Um, but I, I would not count the Redskins out just yet. Colt McCoy is going to be a, a very adequate starting quarterback. Taking you around the league with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport. We can let you know the Eagles are on the board. Rushing touchdown if the extra point is good. Saints lead will be down to 17-7. We'll bring you that highlight when we're done with our conversation with Ian. Let's go to the Baltimore Ravens. Joe Flacco missed today's game with the hip injury. Lamar Jackson won in his starting debut. Ian, what does the immediate future look like for Flacco? When do you think he'll be able to return from the injury? And how about the long term, as this is the last year that his contract has a lot of guaranteed money associated with it? Well, let's start with your latest question first. The long term, it is murky. Uh, I mean, it's I would be very surprised if he's going to come back at that number. Um, you know, he's not going to come back making you know, 25 or whatever million dollars it is, uh, I, I would be very surprised. He's been, honestly, just an average quarterback. Um, and then, you know, if Lamar Jackson continues to play well, it's kind of interesting. I mean, he wasn't perfect today, but he ran for 120 yards. I mean, I don't know if that's sustainable, but it's not like he took some terrible hits. I mean, he's he's an interesting quarterback you have to work with. You have to kind of figure out scheme-wise, but there's some stuff there. 
There really is. And I know Baltimore was pretty excited about it. Um, and they got, as John Harbaugh said, winning football out of them. And, you know, it does seem like Joe Flacco's a long shot to play next week. So we're probably going to see Lamar Jackson again. And what if he wins again? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if at the least, Baltimore says we're going to see a lot of him going forward. Were, were you surprised at all that there was no Robert Griffin III? Uh, we saw very little bit of him. Uh, I was a little surprised because what I was told going in was that you'll probably see some, you know, probably see a little bit of RG3. But I think once it became clear that Lamar was okay, manageable, not things weren't kind of going crazy and too fast, then it's like, all right, just, you know, let him play. And I really do think the biggest challenge for him was, you know, just can he call the plays? Can he get the guys in the right lineups? Can he in the right uh, formation? You know, Kenny, Audible, he seemed, it all seemed manageable. Uh, and that's a really good thing. He's Eric Allen. I'm Brian Weber, taking you around the league with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, how concerned are the Titans about the reoccurrence of Marcus Mariota's elbow injury today in Indianapolis? Yeah, I would say it sounds at least concerning. You know, remember last time it was. I believe it was a one-game absence, and then a one-game as the backup, and then he wore a special glove um, and was able to kind of throw. But, you know, he looked really good the last two or three weeks, but that was only after he regained basically full health. Um, So, you know, I would say it's definitely something that they are concerned about, and they may end up, you know, I have to look at the roster, but they may need to sign a quarterback as well, have to figure out what's actually out there. Nathan Peterman, believe it or not, is – is out there and uh, there's another quarterback that somebody might sign. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a situation where you know you do not want to go forward having Blaine Gabbert as your quarterback. Yeah, and speaking with that game, my Luck is playing great, <laughs> just great football. He's playing great. Yeah, Frank yeah. Wright has just done a, a great job of designing an offense that gets the ball of his hands quickly. Talk to us a little bit about, is he totally back? Is this what we uh, thought that he was going to be when he was drafted number one overall? You know, I remember uh, after the sort of, <coughs> excuse me, the controversy um, over Andrew Luck not throwing the uh, Hail Mary at the beginning of the year. You remember that when the yes. Colts were real bad and that was kind of a thing? I remember talking to Frank Reich about it, and he was like, look, he's like, I am telling you. First of all, who cares about the Hail Mary? Second of all, every throw is available. You are going to see a quarterback with a good arm, I promise. And Luck has been great. Yeah, he has. I almost forgot how awesome he was. Then you see, you know, (laughs) T.Y. kind of springs loose, uh, and Luck hits him on a dime 50 yards away, and I'm like, this guy is balling. And, you know, this is a young team that has no business being this good, but I guess nobody told him that. Uh, (laughs) And they've won a bunch straight, and they they are in the mix. They really are. Finally, Ian, you had some reporting about the state of the relationship between Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. For folks who did not see you on NFL Network this morning, what should they know about what appears to be a interesting situation in Green Bay? Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like they're sort of on different pages regarding the offense, the direction. And, you know, there's some there's some angst there. There's some frustration uh, that maybe, you know, the off the Packers have sort of been been left behind a little bit. Um as far as, you know, just offensively, scheme-wise, I mean, you see so many coaches, so many smart coaches, and Mike McCarthy is as smart as any of them, just being so creative. And we're going to watch it on Monday night with Patrick Mahomes. Like, that is going to be fun. And Aaron Rodgers is more talented than any of them, and it kind of looks like a stagnant offense. And, and there are some people that really wonder, 
is it time for a change? Has Mike McCarthy's message gone stale uh, for this team? Ian, as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks for taking the time to join us again today on the NFL and tune in and hope you have a great Thanksgiving, although I know you will be working. (laughs) (laughs) I will be, as I'm sure you guys will be, too. Thank you. Take care. This is NFL First and Goal, the podcast. Now let's focus on the matchup between the Steelers and the Jaguars with Arthur Motes, the former Steelers linebacker. Now let's take you around the league with Arthur Motes, free agent linebacker who spent eight years playing for the Bills and Steelers. Arthur, we appreciate you taking the time. As you've been watching the league this year, it has been an offensive showcase. So if I offered you the Chief offense, the Ram offense, and the Saints offense as a defensive player, which do you think is the toughest to match up against? Man, so uh, I would have to say it's the Chiefs. I feel like they're just extremely dynamic, man. You look at what Mahomes is able to do with uh, with Hunt, Kelsey, obviously Tariq Hill. I feel like those guys have just, you know, the, the explosive home run threats at all those key positions. And the way that they use those guys in motions and pre-snap shifts, I feel like it definitely keeps defenders on the hills. So it would have to be that offense. And with that, out of those two very explosive offenses, which defense would you like going against? Oh man! <laughs> it's like a game show, Arthur. No easy questions on the NFL on TuneIn. <laughs> so if I had to pick a defense to go against, uh, to, oh man! Ooh, ooh, I, mm, that's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. it's you know, I feel like there's some defense that have been struggling this year, right? But man, ah, I would say Chiefs. Chiefs. I mean, in this big game on Monday night. Uh, when you look at these two potent offenses, you know, if I'm on the other side of the ball, man, I mean, the Chiefs really don't have one particular unit like the Rams do that right, really right. sticks out, right? The D-line is big. Obviously, uh, when they're healthy, their secondary can be good, you know. Oh, man, obviously we know about the Saints defense. They've been playing. I mean, they're playing really well right now versus the Eagles. But, uh, yeah, I guess we'd go with the Chiefs. But, oh. <laughs> Ah, so funny. Yeah, I don't like that question. <laughs> well, don't tell that to Justin Houston. He's finally healthy, and I bet he'll get to the quarterback tomorrow when Jared Goff is looking over his shoulder, taking you around the league with Arthur Motes, free agent linebacker. Arthur, let's draw on your experience at Pittsburgh. You were a teammate of Le'Veon Bells. Were you surprised yeah. he decided not to show up on Tuesday, meaning he's not going to play at all this season, and he had an opportunity with the franchise tender to potentially make $14.5 bucks if he played this year? I mean, yes, I was a little surprised, but then at the same time, I wasn't because I can see it from both sides. I felt like, you know, any athlete understands like as in this in, in this particular profession, especially at the running back position, you know, it's a short window, so you want to maximize the money you can make. And obviously, he's taking a gamble on himself. He's taking a gamble on you know what he's anticipating making through free agency. So I can see that aspect in him not wanting to take those extra potential hits and stuff like that this season. But then the flip side is like. Man, it's fourteen million fully guaranteed. Like, so to turn it all the way down, and then it's like, I know you love the game, so like to sit away for a whole year. I know it's got to be hard on you, but I mean, it's it's the decision that he made, and ultimately, you know, as long as he's one hundred percent committed to it, and he feels like it's the best thing. I mean, who are who are we to fault him for that? You know, so I feel like when this offseason hits and when free agency ultimately happens, we'll know a lot more if he made the right decision or not. 
But, I mean, as of right now, you just have to support him because that's what he felt like he wanted to do. Yeah, Arthur, thinking, uh, speaking about right decision, what was up with them raiding the locker, man? I mean, taking the Jordan cleats? What's, would, would, would you would you have been a part of that or what? Man, you know, <laughs> I'll just say no comment in regards to my participation and <laughs> those type of activities. But, I mean, it's one of those things I feel like it was done lightheartedly. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like, You've been asking this guy. You, you've been asking those guys in the locker room about him all all season, all season long. I mean, they're tired of hearing about it. So when it gets to this point that okay, now it's officially over. We know he's not coming back this year. I think they kind of just took it as like a sign of like, yeah, we can finally breathe and, and put that issue to bed and just kind of have fun with it. And I think that's what the whole let's go to the locker, let's take the name tag off. I think that's what it was done as. So yeah. <laughs> We are taking you around the league with Arthur Motzfried, a linebacker, eight years of tenure playing for Buffalo and Pittsburgh. So, Arthur, as you're watching the games today, we saw the Steelers come back from a 16 nothing deficit to win on the road in Jacksonville. Pittsburgh now has won six consecutive games. We know about the offensive firepower. How about the defense? How much improvement have you seen over the last month from the Steelers? Oh, man, a ton of improvement defensively. And I always say this. I feel like at the beginning of the years, defenses are usually a little bit behind. When you think about those early games, you see a ton of points coming in. But then as the the season progresses, you see those defenses starting to get better. They're starting to get more aware of what's going on. They're starting to get more comfortable with each other because, as you know, the roster changes every year. You have different guys. And then, in particular, here in Pittsburgh, with the absence of Ryan Shazier, you had a big you know position you had to fill. Now, And I feel like... Now that they've had those months together, now they've had those games together, they've been in some sticky situations. I feel like now they're starting to gel. And ultimately, you saw that they played an intricate part in today's victory for them. I mean, that first half, yeah, it looked like it was going to get bad, but they just kept holding the teams to field goal, kept holding the Jags to field goals. And then in that second half, what, six possessions, five of them with three and outs. I mean, that was a huge stat in that game right there. Talk to us a little about uh, Coach Tomlin. I mean, I mean, he's so emotional on the sideline. Um, people talk about, it, you know, at the beginning of the season, the team is lost now. The team is, you know, rallied behind him. Talk to us a little bit about um, what, uh, what, what Coach Tomlin's about. Yeah, so uh, as a guy who's, you know, playing under him for four years, you always hear the, the narrative of he's lost the locker room because he's a player's coach, because he's able to relate with the guys on a personal level. And we always laugh at that narrative because anybody who's ever played there knows for a fact that he's never come close to losing the locker room. And with him, man, he's one of those guys that he's going to be extremely emotional. He wears his heart on his sleeve, but he also has extreme confidence in, in the team's abilities, and he's very resilient in that regard. So it's plenty of times where, you know, you may drop a couple of games in a row, things may be looking terrible, and he's going to tell you don't blink. He's going to tell you, hey, when things get thick, we're going to come out of this thing on the other end. So just keep grinding, keep bringing it, you know, keep coming to work every day and just continue to grow and get better. And ultimately, man, when the season is going and we look up at the end of the year, we're going to have seven, eight, nine, ten wins in a row. And ultimately, I mean, that's what they're going on right now. As you see, what, six games in a row right now for the wins. Arthur, we enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Hope we can chat with you again later this season here on the NFL on TuneIn. Man, definitely appreciate you guys. Look forward to it as well. Next on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, let's break down the game between the Bengals and the Ravens with Kadra Ismail, the former Ravens receiver.
Now let's recap today's divisional game in Baltimore. Ravens snapped their three-game losing streak, beating the Bengals. Always a pleasure to talk Baltimore football with Super Bowl champion Kadri Ismail, the former Ravens receiver. Q, we appreciate you taking the time. Got to start with Lamar Jackson. Shining in his starting debut, he was the leading rusher for the Ravens in this game. What would you take away from his performance? Yeah, I think first and foremost, this was a must-needed win. And anytime you are going against a division opponent, it counts almost like a game and a half. And the Ravens were really coming out of a bye week with a lot of controversy surrounding them as far as John Harbaugh and him being on the hot seat. Uh, Joe Flacco had his rib, or I should say his hip injury, which caused him to miss the entire week of practice. And I think that that's what led into saying, okay, we're going to go with uh, the rookie quarterback in, in Lamar Jackson, and, and I think Lamar Jackson really handled himself extremely well and was able to, as you you know, stated, run the ball, run it effectively, and, and look good doing it. Wow. Q, now is Lamar Jackson's play today, knowing that you have RG3 on the bench and saw what kind of happened to him after uh, his amazing rookie season, is that type of play sustainable uh, for Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens? Well, it remains to be seen because you're talking about a guy that you know, ran a ball 22 times, I believe, which is the most for a quarterback since 1950. Wow. And, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's an awful lot of carries. That's an awful lot of hits. Yep. But technically, when he, you know, did get hit, it wasn't necessarily a direct shot. Uh, my uh, broadcast partner, Mark Viviano, and I, as we were kind of going over the, the plays, uh, one of the things that I commented on was there were a few times where you would think uh, in the past uh, a guy would have him dead to right, and literally he would kind of slow up and you know allow uh, Lamar to go out of bounds. And so I think it's a different you know game, if you will, as far as, easing up on the quarterback. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to get a guy that's going to, you know, challenge him and be like, oh, okay, you want to be, you know, daring <laughs> and all that and, and trying to, you know, take his head off. But I think for the most part, you know, you're looking at Lamar Jackson, you know, coming out of this game, not necessarily having that big knockout hit that you would normally see. Jackson finished the game with 117 rushing yards. We're spotlighting the Ravens with Kadri Ismael, former Ravens receiver, Q, even though Baltimore ran it 54 times today, I want to talk about the receiving core this season. How much improvement have you seen with the addition of players like Michael Crabtree? Yeah, you know, I thought uh, the Ravens in the first few games looked like world beaters, and you know, a lot of teams were having difficulty as far as the different matchups with a lot of the new faces. But, you know, they hit a skid there where they were playing some top teams in Pittsburgh and Carolina and I think uh, offensively they they did okay, um, even New Orleans. Uh, but defensively, I think is where they really had some struggles. And I think the the lack of you know turnovers, the lack of short fields for the offense, the overall flow, in my opinion, you know, kind of caused them to have that three game skid. Um, you know, we saw today a, a team that was dominating from a run aspect of things, and that was really good. So it's it's how can you now look at it and and keep it going? I guess if you you know are a receiver, you're not necessarily you know wanting to just run the ball only, but 
At the same time, you recognize, hey, this is the strength of my team so far. Obviously, the run-pass options, those are going to be some plays that, you know, the more and more comfortable Lamar gets with it, he's going to be able to, you know, make some plays with his arm. Um, but uh, it, it's it's a growing process for, for this team now that Lamar is under center. Uh, Q, you talked about uh, leading up to this game, controversy. What's what's going on with Coach Harbour? I love him. I love his personality. It's all about the team. Kind of deflects. But uh, is he really uh, on the hot seat right now? Well, I mean, I think John Harbaugh is just a phenomenal coach. At the same time, you know, we all know it's what he's done for me lately. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, part of, you know, his you know issue is, is being able to, you know, get no flack on the play, the the type of football he needs to play, and you know at the same time a, a defense that you kind of scratch your head on. It's it's like you know they're they're good defense, strong defense, but then these disappearing moments, and so I think you know all of that comes into play, and you have an ownership that is it's, it's demanding of playoffs. You know it's 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 a team that there's high expectations. This isn't you know the, the Cleveland Browns where it's like. Okay, you know we did decent. You know that, that's good. You know you you are looking at a team that is expected to make the playoffs week in or year in and year out and competing for uh, a Super Bowl championship. So I think the last you know couple of years, going back to 2014, is where you know, you've seen a team just not live up to the expectations. And I think that's where you know there's been those rumblings and and putting him on the hot seat. Kadri, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again today here on the NFL on TuneIn. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. You're the best, Q. We continue on NFL First and Gold, the podcast. Now let's break down the game between the Cowboys and the Falcons with Brian Finneran, the former Falcons receiver, now a talk show host for 680 The Fan in Atlanta. Now let's recap the game that happened today in Atlanta. The Cowboys edged the Falcons 22-19 on a field goal on the final play of the matchup. Pleased to be joined by Brian Finneran, former Falcons receiver, now a talk show host for 680 The Fan in Atlanta. Brian, thanks so much for taking the time. As you look back on this game, what stood out primarily to you? I think field goals early, not being able to capitalize the ball um, down in there close and put touchdowns on the board. You can't score touchdowns. You just leave teams hanging around, and that's what happened today, and, and uh, weren't able to get anything done. I, that was a team in Dallas that I guess hadn't had any plays, any drives over eight plays the entire season. They put together a 15-play drive early and a 14-play drive late, and um, they're just a better team on the field today. Uh, Brian, were the expectations for the Falcons uh, too high coming into the season? No, I don't think so. Um, it was just like when you lose the players that they lost, and I think you can probably speak to this yourself, and you don't want to make an uh, injury an excuse, but it's hard not to when you lose your middle linebacker, your free safety, your strong safety, and your best defensive tackle for a period of time. And it's just so hard to overcome. And we had so many guys on the football field the last six, seven, eight weeks that really should be – special teams, core special teams players, now they're thrown into starting roles on your on your defense. Communication was, was, wasn't there. As soon as those guys got hurt by week two or three, expectations were, were way lower than they, than they were to start the season. That's a team, if they're all healthy, we feel really good as a fan base about what they're doing, what they're capable of, and it just, it just wasn't our year. 
Talking Atlanta football with Brian Finneran, the former Falcons receiver. Brian, on your show, I'm sure a topic of discussion in the past has been Steve Sarkeesian's play calling, especially in the red zone. How much evolution have you seen in that area? You think Atlanta's gotten better when it comes to scoring inside the 20? No, they've been awesome. Uh, all except, I think it was week one against the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they were one for eight or one for nine to start the season in the red zone. And we are like, rut row, here we go again, another season where we can't figure out how to score touchdowns. But they've been lights out ever since then. I think, um, I don't know the numbers, but the QB rating went way up, touchdowns um, went way up, no interceptions. I mean, the whole thing is just t- totally turned around from last year to week one this year through the last uh, eight, nine games. So they've got that part figured out. They can score touchdowns when they need to. Um, they just uh, they just couldn't figure it out today for some reason. Dallas got a good defense, man. And I don't know if it's yeah. the Falcons have abandoned the run game just a little bit, and uh, they need to get back to it and see if they can't feed Tevin Coleman some more. Yeah, outside of the Saints, man. Saints playing some great ball outside of the Saints. I can't even watch it. That's yeah, a, that's like a, uh, <laughs> they, right I mean, just, me too. I mean, they're just beating down the Eagles right now. Uh, outside of the Saints, though, I, it just looks like everyone else in in the division is beatable. I mean, you know, the Panthers are kind of up and down, like like you guys are uh, yeah. in the locker room. How's the attitude towards you know looking uh, you know at a wild card spot? You know what. Uh, there's hope. There is. It, it feels like in this division, in, in the NFC right now, you're going to have to rattle off five out of six or six in a row to finish the season now because you put yourself behind the eight ball, sitting at um, four and six or whatever it is, and it just get a chance to get back to five hundred five and five with uh, six games left on the schedule and going to New Orleans and maybe you know shock the world. But it really is. Um, it was a tough loss. I think the one that really got us, he was going to Cleveland and losing that game and then having guys after the game talk about we didn't take them seriously. He's like, that's, I don't know how long these guys have been playing. I think Devondre Campbell made that comment off the cuff. I was like, wow. I played a long time. Never in my life did those words come out of my mouth. You, yeah. just, you can't do that. You can't take anybody for granted. And unfortunately they did. And then, and then he let these games. So I think that's the fourth game this season. The Falcons have lost on the last play of the game. So it's, it's uh, there's a lot that goes into that. It's, it's time management. It's play calling. It's timeouts. It's not scoring touchdowns early. So you just got to figure out how to take care of the ball. And then uh, Calvin Ridley with the unfortunate drop turns into a pick interception as well where they score two plays later. So you just have to do a better job taking care of the football and doing the little things. And like you guys are talking about, try to get better in the red zone as the, as the season progresses. Brian, last one for me as we look for bright spots. You mentioned Calvin Ridley, although he made the mistake this year. He has been sensational. How about rookie Edo Smith filling in nicely after Devontae Freeman got banged up? Yeah, really fun to watch those two guys come into their own. Calvin Ridley, I think I saw in mini camp and training camp, dude runs smooth, silky smooth routes. Um, the one knock, I guess, was uh, ability to kind of consistently squeeze the ball and be strong to it. That hasn't been an issue most of the season. Uh, but the last two interceptions for Matt Ryan, one was last week where he ran a go route instead of a post that was designed. Uh, Matt planning on him running a post, and he ran a go, and Matt threw the ball assuming he was running the post route, and he, he saw green grass in front of him, ran a go, and the cornerback picked it off. And then this week, again, with a drop pick, and uh, that one hurt as well. But that kid has been special. He's a rookie. and come in here as a receiver and, uh, and do the things he's doing. It's been fun to watch. And then Ido Smith, I believe out of Southern Miss, has done a, Miss has done a good job for a little guy, shifty, um, tough runner. And uh, when, like you said, Devontae Freeman banged up for another couple of weeks. 
uh, we're going to need to keep relying on him out of the backfield as well. Brian, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes today here on the NFL on TuneIn. You got it. You guys take it easy. We roll on on NFL First and Gold, the podcast spotlighting the game between the Titans and Colts with Stephen Holder from TheAthletic.com. Now let's recap the Colts' convincing win over the Tennessee Titans with Stephen Holder from TheAthletic.com. Stephen, thanks so much for taking the time. No, it was a long day for you. Indy has come alive. They've won four consecutive games. And based on Andrew Luck having another three touchdown passes, is it fair to say Luck is completely back? Oh, yeah. I think that is very fair to say. He has not only come back physically, but I, I think his is playing some of the best football he's ever played. So it, it was, there were two questions for me. Was he going to be at a hundred percent physically, right? And when would that happen? And then the follow-up question, the subsequent question was, well, what would he look like? Would he be in mid-season form at some point? And that happened much, much faster than I thought it was going to. I thought early this season, he was fine. He was definitely back, but I think there was some rust. And I'm talking about just really the very, very first few weeks of the season. But once he got that off, uh, played his way out of that, I thought he had he really got into a groove. And you're seeing some of the best football Andrew Luck's ever played right now. Yeah, three touchdowns again. Uh, we see how much he's improved. What are we not seeing? What what has been like the ingredient that that we uh, and us, us fans are not able to see that has kept him and is getting him to this point? Well, there's, there's Andrew Luck's just, you know, sort of um, preparation and all of those things. And, and he's always going to be, you know, a little bit Peyton Manning-like in that regard. But I think the other thing that I don't want to get lost here is I think Frank Reich deserves a lot of credit. He has put in a scheme here that I'm just telling you, they are getting guys wide open and they're doing it with scheme and play design. And it's, it's really remarkable what they're doing right now. I think he is going to be, I think, in the next few years, if this combination of Andrew Luck and Frank Wright can stay together and they can win some games, I think you're going to see an offense that I think really kind of takes the league by storm because they have some really good ingredients. They're doing this now, okay, keep in mind, with a wide receiver group that really is very, very ordinary outside of T.Y. Hilton. I mean, they don't have any depth of that position at all. They've, they got really lucky getting Eric Ebron, and that has really worked out for uh, that free agent pickup. But generally, you know, we wondered whether their skill positions needed to be upgraded coming into the season. And so Frank Reich is doing this with a group that wasn't really or didn't really have high expectations. So I just think the play design, the scheme, the play calling, I think, from Frank Reich has been excellent. Spotlighting the Colts with Stephen Holder from TheAthletic.com. Stephen, since we're handing out credit, how about the vastly improved offensive line? Another clean sheet today. Luck not sacked. He has not been sacked in five consecutive games. Yeah, that is just remarkable. And <laughs> I think you have to put it in context, right? And the context is that this is a team that struggled so much with pass protection over the last several years. So Andrew Luck's been hit more than just about anybody in his time here, now in his seventh year. I mean, so to have this kind of turnaround at, at a unit or in a unit that, that had so many struggles, uh, I think is just completely unexpected. So you, you've got a couple things going on. Anthony Costanzo, left tackle, playing great football. 
Now, he's so, sort of the veteran in his eighth year now. But really, the other thing is Quentin Nelson has really, really shored up that offensive line. And they're just going to groove right now. That was, I think, you know, somewhat of a questionable pick for some people at number six overall, taking a guard. But this guy's different. And I totally now understand why the Colts made that decision. And it looks like it was the right one. Steven, on the other side of the ball, how would you describe this defensive philosophy? Well, look, it's uh, it's very much like what the Colts used to run under Tony Dungy. It's very much a, a zone-based uh, Russian cover kind of system. The problem has been they don't have a lot of rushers. So they've been trying to figure that out. So today, for the first time, I thought you saw a real commitment to, to some blitzes. That was not something we've seen so far this year. Today we saw it, and it really was effective. They, they had some timely blitzes, and the Titans really didn't see it coming. I don't think that was something they anticipated at all. We haven't seen very much of it. So I think they caught them by surprise there. And it's going to be interesting to see how much of it we see going forward because that has really not been a huge part of this scheme. But, but if they can get to the quarterback, this scheme can work. It does force a lot of turnovers, and they got a couple today. And that's really what this is about. It's about speed, about getting to the football, and preventing the big play. Uh, the Colts really don't let you go over the top very much. And, and in that regard, this scheme has been very successful. Steven, we appreciate the insights. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us again today here on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. As we continue on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, let's take you round the league with Eric Edholm of Pro Football Weekly. Now let's take you round the league with Eric Edholm of Pro Football Weekly. He joins us live from Soldier Field, getting ready to cover Sunday Night Football between the Vikings and Bears. Eric, thanks so much for taking the time. Before we talk about the Sunday Night matchup, let's put what Drew Brees is doing into context. 363 passing yards, four more touchdowns in this game. Where do you put him in the MVP conversation this year? Uh, I don't know, guys. He missed one or two throws in the game, and we're going to look back <laughs> at that. And, uh, I, you know, it's just it's astounding. And, and especially, you know, you want to throw his age in there, part of the argument, that's fine. You know, we can do that. But his accuracy seems to be getting better with age. <laughs> I mean, I think his completion percentage after the age of 37 or so is about 73 right now, which is just absurd. And, you know, it's like two halves of the same brain. Sean Payton and, and Drew Brees, they think alike. They understand what each other wants. Uh, you know they have great special, uh, great playmaking. Uh, you know players, a wide receiver and, and, uh, and running back. It's it's astounding to watch what they're doing right now. Yeah, and usually with that type of high uh, completion percentage, the ball's being dumped down. But uh, right. I believe he's upwards of like seven yards an attempt, eight yards an attempt. So again, I mean he's playing just a brilliant uh, style of uh, of football and. The, the rule changes and how you know you, you can't really take a receiver and take him out of, over the middle and you can't hit the quarterback. I think that has really helped him in the way in the style he plays, right? Absolutely, and you know, right? I mean, I think you know, you know, defense. You, you played on that side of the ball. You know how hard it is to begin with, and then you start adding all these you know these restrictions on what defensive players can do, not just the DBs, but you know some of the uh, you know the the rough and the passer stuff as well. But yeah, I think he's. You know, just his toughness and, and, and the design of the offense, beautiful to watch and, you know, so in control. And, and yeah, it's a banged up Philly team right now. But for them to be able to demolish them the way they did, I mean, I think you have to say that having beaten the Rams once, you know, they, they've proven themselves as the, the team to beat right now. And I know we'll see a fantastic game on a night, but 
you know, they're playing outstanding football in all three phases, but especially that offense. Taking around the league with Eric Edom of Pro Football Weekly. Eric, given what happened today in Washington, not only the Redskins losing the game to Houston, Alex Smith went down with a broken leg. So it's Colt McCoy the rest of the way. Factor in Philadelphia's issues. Are you embracing Dallas now as the team to beat in the NFC East? How about this for a headline? Alex Smith's injury saves Jason Garrett's job. I mean, you know, it's crazy to think about it in those terms, but that that sort of may end up happening. Now, I know they went out and got Amari Cooper. I know they've had some big wins here to save their season, you know, since the loss to Tennessee. But, you know, it could work out that way where the Cowboys make the playoffs, Garrett keeps his job. I'll let me throw this at you guys. Is there a scenario where the NFC champion, whichever team it is, and I don't think it's Philly the way they're playing, but – where would they be favored at home in a playoff game? I don't know. I mean, this is a deep NFC field. Could be the Bears, could be the Vikings, could be the Carolina Panthers, could be some other really good teams, Seattle, whoever, could go in there and be road favorites because there are so many questions. But the Cowboys right now, Dak Prescott has risen his level of play, raised his level of play. Ezekiel Elliott, you know, the offensive line starting to come together again defensively. You know, they did a really good job, I think, for the most part against the Falcons today. So, you know, start and make plays in, in all three phases, the winning kick on special teams, too. So, you know, did I think it was the right move to go for it this year with that trade with Cooper? Maybe not. The price was heavy, but they smelled an opening there. They sensed that the other two teams they were going head to get ahead against probably didn't have that much juice. So credit to them for being aggressive in that move. Yeah. Speaking of uh, uh, divisions, the division you're in right now, the NFC North, wow, the Green Bay Packers, a lot of things going on there. Uh, How is Aaron Rodgers and and Coach going to get along, you think? Uh, I I think they have to win six straight. I mean, you know, that would put them at at, at 10-5-1, and and that would give them a shot at getting, uh, you know, a wild card. I think think there's a good chance either the Bears or Vikings are going to win more games than that. So we'll see. Obviously, there's a lot of football to be played. You know, Bears and Vikings have to play twice. A lot of combinations that could happen. But, yeah, that relationship clearly is it's dicey right now. And you feel the tension from inside the building, from outside the building. You know, Rodgers kind of subtly hinted at play calling issues early in the season. I don't know that that magic moment is coming. I mean, I think there's, there's so many things that have to happen for them to go on this big run. And, you know, Aaron's got to play better. The play calling's got to be better. Everything else, you know, you're already dealing with the defense that's been banged up as well, too. So just a lot of factors. You lose Jimmy Graham, you know, for unknown amount of time. And uh, it's just it's, it's hard to imagine them going on one of those relaxed, you know, when, when he said that a couple of years ago, one of those kind of, <laughs> you know, streaks where they go, go win six straight. I just don't see it happening. Eric Adam, Pro Football Weekly, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Eric, I don't want to be more of a hypocrite than I normally am, so let me try to be intellectually consistent here. Like most people on social media, I crushed Mike McCarthy for being conservative late in the game on the road in Seattle on Thursday. But as we were doing the broadcast today, I thought undeniably Ron Rivera made the wrong decision going for two late in the game in Detroit. How did you see Riverboat Ron coming up with that decision-making process this afternoon. Yeah, even if it let's even if it was the wrong argument. I mean, obviously Cam had a receiver open, maybe two. I, I didn't see Christian McCaffrey. Some people said he was open, but Jarius Wright was there to, to catch the ball. But to your point, if they even you know, let's say they convert that, they're up twenty-one twenty. There's still a minute plus left on the clock, and 
you know, uh, that's usually the kind of thing that you do when you feel like, all right, we, we can't win this game in overtime. We're not the better team. You know, all the mistakes that led up to that point, we got to mention those as well because Carolina Panthers' tackling was horrible, especially, you know, on defense early it was awful. You know, they missed opportunities to, to score later in the game. You know, this is a Detroit Lions team that was beaten up, you know, lost uh, three straight after starting out three and three. Carolina Panthers are a better football team than they showed today. But I don't think that sent much of a message for the confidence of the team. And, again, you, you, you still have to play defense even if you do take the lead on that situation. So, yeah, I think a lot of people are on your side of the argument where they say, you know, tie it up. You're, you're the better football team. Go win it in overtime because, in theory, you should be able to flex your muscles in that spot. Um, last one for me, Eric. Give me your take on the big Monday night game uh, here in Los Angeles. Move from Mexico because of field conditions. I just got a feel when they move this game that they're just trying to uh, change the the flow from you know this Patriots dominant East Coast here to the West Coast with the Rams and the Chiefs, the, the the new coaches for the Rams who are energetic and the offenses with this young quarterback. Casey, give me your take on, on how you think this Monday night game is going to capture uh, the, the, the football fans. Yeah, I think it's going to be fantastic to watch. And, you know, you've got two offensive systems, one run by the, the young gun, Sean McVay, one run by Andy Reid, you know, the old dog who's been around the block so many times. But I love the fact that Reid has reinvented not only himself, but his offense. An added plays, taken plays out, changed his perspective. A lot of coaches who've been in this game as long as he has just aren't willing to do that. So that alone makes it exciting. Two young quarterbacks who are in the MVP discussion. What will the Rams' emotions be like when they get out on that field? They've been, you know, they've been to Colorado and back this week, the wildfires in California, you know, other stuff going on this game. Nobody even knew it was playing here till till late on Tuesday. So, you know, it, it's it's a lot. Can they handle this big moment? I think the Chiefs come in, you know, with kind of the pressure off a little bit uh, and might be able to go in there and steal a win if they keep doing what they do with turnovers, which is they just don't give the ball away. It's, it's been pretty darn impressive so far. Derek, let's wrap it up with the game you'll be covering tonight's Sunday Night Football divisional matchup between Minnesota and Chicago. How much are you buying the Bears? Great story at 6-3, and three, three consecutive wins, but you are aware of the schedule. They've beaten a lot of clubs with losing records. Yeah, I think the, the combined record of the teams they beat is like 8-38 and 38 or something like that. I mean, just, you know, they don't have that one signature victory. They couldn't, you know, couldn't beat the Patriots here in, in, in Chicago. Obviously, the, the games against Green Bay and Miami, they let slip through their fingers. So, a young team is still kind of learning how to close out games, but the talent is there. And like we talked about with the Rams and Chiefs, I mean, this system works. Matt Nagy has done great job with Mitch Trubisky. Trubisky is executing the place. He looks more poised and calm. How will he do when it's third and seven against this Vikings defense? That's my biggest question tonight. And, you know, can this young team come up with the big plays when they have to and, you know, against a, a more experienced veteran club? We'll see. This is a, a huge moment, probably the biggest game in, in Chicago against the division. Eric, we appreciate you taking the time. Enjoy the game tonight. Thanks for the visit here on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's close out the podcast with the intersection of football and physics. 
It's time for the Playing with Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. And for that, we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Eric Goff and Gary O'Reilly. Guys, we'll hear from you momentarily. First, let's focus on Houston beat Washington. Defense was the key in our nation's capital. Mark Vandermeer with the call. Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Guys, take us through the play. Wow, 101-yard pick six. That's incredible. So, Professor, what is the science behind a rookie running riot? Well, about a half a quarter before a terrible leg injury knocked Washington quarterback Alex Smith out of this game, he was in the shotgun on third and goal at the Texans' nine. Tight end Jordan Reed was lined up on the left side of the line. After the snap, Smith backpedaled and threw from the Texans' 17-yard line. At that instant, his target, Jordan Reed, was curling to his left at the goal line. Texans rookie free safety, Justin Reed, who had his eyes on the quarterback the whole time, was sneaking in behind Jordan Reed. Unfortunately for the Redskins, Alex Smith and Jordan Reed weren't on the same page. Jordan Reed broke to his right as the pass was headed to where Reed first broke to his left. By the time Jordan Reed was set to make the touchdown catch, Justin Reed had caught the ball a yard deep in the end zone and had daylight in front of him. Justin Reed sprinted for much of the 101 yards he needed to get to the end zone. Along the way, Texans' 300-pound defensive end Christian Covington had motored 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage to provide a crucial block that kept Reed's path free. By the time Reed passed midfield, he had a top speed of nearly 22 miles per hour, which was getting close to elite track speed. But he loped the final 20 yards knowing he couldn't be caught. Reed took 48 steps at over 6 feet per stride in almost 11.7 seconds after his pick to score. Instead of Jordan Reed catching the go-ahead touchdown, Justin Reed extended the Texans' lead with a great pick six. In a two-point Texans win, Gary, that play made all the difference. Thank you, Professor. So a day to forget for Redskins quarterback Alex Smith, but a red-letter day for for the Texans' free safety, Justin Reed. Oh, and a day he will remember for a very, very long time. So from all of us on Playing With Science, happy holidays, and I'll throw it straight back to you in the studio. Thank you. Memorable insights as always. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving and look forward to our conversation next week. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. All free, only on TuneIn.